Welcome to Lab Sessions. I'm Zach Elliott. I love people, and I get to learn from some of the best. This show gives me a chance to invite you to join me in pursuit of more life and more beauty. Here's to that pursuit and to the conversations ahead. Hey, welcome to Lab Sessions. I'm grateful for the opportunity to share this time with all of you. And years ago, a friend and a mentor encouraged me to always build the way that I wanted to finish, to start with the end in mind. And his advice has served me well, although it may sound incredibly simple, it's not always easy. It requires time and attention and careful thought to start with the end in mind. Well, that same wisdom appeared not too long ago through the words of another friend. Writing on the lost purpose of learning, Dr. Joseph Clare invites readers to consider the aim, the ultimate end of education, and to bravely reimagine learning with the end in mind. His book, Reading Augustine on Education, Formation, Citizenship, and the Lost Purpose of Learning, has so much to offer in our cultural moment. In fact, I believe this is one of the most important books that we can read as we endeavor to think about our culture, the future, and the church. Dr. Clare serves as Dean of the College of Christian Studies, Liberal Arts, and Honors, and as an Associate Professor of Theology at George Fox University. Before joining the George Fox faculty in 2013, he earned his PhD in the Religion, Ethics, and Politics program at Princeton University, while also working as an assistant in instruction. His efforts were rewarded with a Department of Religion Teaching Award and a Graduate Prize Fellowship from Princeton's Center for Human Values. Prior to Princeton, Clare earned a Master's of Philosophy at the University of Cambridge as a Gates Cambridge Scholar. He also, holds a mas- he also holds master's degrees from Fordman and Duke University, as well as a bachelor's degree from Wheaton College. His research and teaching interests include Christian thought and ethics and the role of religion in public life. He's the author of Discerning the Good in the Letters and Sermons of Augustine and Reading Augustine on Education, Formation, Citizenship, and the Lost Purpose of Learning. Dr. Clare is a husband, a father, an outdoorsman who shares my love for nature and a man who lives with such grace from both the head and the heart that it's truly a joy to know him and to share time with him. Dr. Clare, thank you for spending some Oregon summertime with us. We're just grateful for the time. <laughs> thank you so much, Zach. What a privilege to be here. And uh, yeah, to sort of, I'm sending you the warm late July summer morning in Oregon, which I know you love as well. Well, I wish that I was there with you. That was the original plan was to do this live. And I'm yes. sitting here watching the the waves of the Gulf of Mexico roll in. So I'm not in a horrible spot, but it is like 9 million degrees. And, uh, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to be sensitive to your time. I'm so grateful. We've I've wanted to get into your book, into some of the thinking behind the book for so long. And uh, I just am going to go straight there. You published Reading Augustine on Education, Formation, Citizenship, and the Lost Purpose of Learning in 2018. And as I said, I don't know if there's a more important book that we can be reading right now, and we'll get into the why of that in a second. But publishers will often ask, you know, why you, why this book, why now? And yeah. I think we just heard in your bio why the why you part. But help us understand why is this book so important right now? Yeah, man, thank you. I, 
I was asked by an editor friend at Bloomsbury to contribute a book uh, to this reading Augustine series, and I've done a lot of work of seeing Hippo, he's kind of a, a mentor, a dead mentor in the uh, cloud of witnesses, you know, that we have as Christians. And I, I, w- I was told by the editor to just write on that which was closest to the heart, closest at hand. There was no predetermined topic or anything. And I found myself in that moment launching the honors program at George Fox and one of the delights of that job, I was just taking a faculty professor job, but also was being asked to start this honors program. It was this incredible opportunity to kind of strip education bare back to its core essential purpose and ask, why are we doing this whole thing anyways? Because when you sit there with, you know, the bright eyed 18, 19 year old and their family who's willing to, you know, put a lot of money forward on this trek that they're on, you feel sort of obligated to give an account of why this is important, not just for getting a job on the other side, which we do hope for, but important for them as a human being, as a Christian, as a soul. And so it was actually through recruiting students into the honors program that the idea of the book came to me and then building the honors program across four years in which we launched kind of this history of ideas, great text track where we read through the history of thought uh, from the ancient to the present with the scriptures as sort of the backbone, you know, largely oriented toward Western civilization, but broadening out in key areas. So it really just grew out of like the humble uh, tumble of what I was doing on the ground, trying to figure out what the core of education was. I mean, more broadly, though, I guess um, I started to see that education, the college serves a different role than the church. The college traditionally has an intellectual purpose. We are trying to train the mind, you know, sort of quantitatively, qualitatively, aesthetically, we're trying to sharpen the intellect. Um, And if you don't believe that, then you're probably not in education. But out of that sharpening of the intellect, there's always been twin purposes associated with it. And on the one hand, there is the economic purpose. So usually you major in something that is on its way toward a a job. And increasingly we have cost conscious, career conscious kind of return on investment thinking around the purpose of, of college. But on the other hand, there's the moral and spiritual purpose of college, which has always been there. It's not just what do you want to do and what do you want to make in the world, but who do you want to become? Who do you, who, who do you want to be? There's the aspirational sense of character formation And for Christians, the highest spiritual purpose, that is our call to love God and specifically in that great command, loving the Lord your God with all of your mind and the special role that learning plays in allowing us to love God with our minds in response to the glory and complexity of his creation and culture through time, that we've lost a lot of the moral and spiritual purpose in Western education and we've lost sight of... um, the spiritual order of learning and have been kind of submerged in an entirely vocational career minded and now technological understanding of education as information delivery skills acquisition, and then return on investment through career. And I started to realize we really need to revitalize the moral and spiritual purpose of learning lest the intellectual purpose gets swallowed by the purely economic. And that was two or three years ago. And now I feel it, even more acutely as higher education is in disruption, uh, places are beginning to close down, the costs have gotten out of control, we're going to have more 
career-minded, cost-conscious families, and rightfully so on the other side of COVID because of the economic downturn. So yeah, I feel like now's the time to be thinking about a lot of this. Well, it's the work that you have done to get maybe ahead of this or right on this conversation is so, so important. And it's so in front of us as we watch the news and we, we kind of walk our own cities and we navigate the things that we're navigating. No, the, the heart and the soul, the character formation of people right now, if, if there has ever been a time in our culture, at least in my lifetime, where I look around and for my own kids, even I go, my highest hope for you is not just that you are able to get a good job or to secure a healthy future for yourself, but I want you to contribute from a heart and a soul and, and care for culture and be a part of that formation and shaping of culture. And to prepare them for that is not just, you know, our work alone, but it, it does take all of these different um, heads and hearts and hands to help shape them for what they're going to face. And right now we're navigating COVID and the COVID pandemic. We're also navigating intense cultural cross pressures. And you mentioned a few of them. And I think we all feel that tension. We certainly see it on the streets of our cities, including your part of the world, Portland and Seattle. And now here we are just under 100 days from our nation's presidential election. And your book kind of takes us from not just the idea of the aim of education uh, and the balance of the intellectual and economic and moral and spiritual, but really that the back end that here we are, we end up as citizens. And... Mm-hmm. You say, now more than ever, we need a coherent view of good society, education, and citizenship. Mm. And when I read those three words, we need a coherent view of good society, education, and citizenship. My head and heart say, amen. Unpack that a bit mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. help us understand Augustine's view of citizenship and how maybe that can help us get that coherent view of the good society, education, and citizenship. Yeah, man, that's, that's it. I, I've always thought that the fabric of our culture, um, has been largely connected to schools, cities, and churches. Um, and we have, you know, we've lived through the age of the rise, um, of, of business, uh, culture. And there's something wonderful about that. I'm a huge fan of, of the kind of entrepreneurial innovation spirit of American business culture, but it's kind of overshadowed schools, cities, and churches in terms of our culture's attention. And I think we're bearing uh, the weight of that in some ways right now. We have, um, the question is who, who's doing the formation of our people? Education is like, it's like the soul of a society being passed from one generation to another, and I think you could throw the family household into that triad, into a uh, into force. So you have the school, the church, the city, and the family. And I think a big part of what I see my role uh, as a college professor and the work we do here is helping kids turn into adults. It's like a matter of launching people into the world, and part of that um, is combating, I think, what is our predominant. Um, identity narrative as a society that our students come to us with. And that is the identity narrative, which has been in every Disney movie and every sitcom and cartoon they've seen. 
it's the modern individualist narrative that you've got to look inside yourself, um, figure out who you are, who you want to be, and then you assert that over against the world and anyone who tells you otherwise. And it's kind of an individualist heroic narrative, but it's a very lonely narrative ultimately. And I think all ancient societies, including biblical uh, society in Israel and the early church was, was the ancient identity narrative, which was to become yourself and to truly find your identity was to sublimate your own individual interests uh, for the good of the family, for the clan, for the city, for the community. We've lost some of that uh, identity, um, sort of that, that heroic narrative has, has largely gone away. And so when you talk about things like serving the common good and living in community, we really have an atomistic uh, set of 7 billion individuals um, mm. on the world. And there's a kind of willful loneliness involved in our, our individual stories. And so I think that honestly is at root in part of um, what we're seeing happen right now. So for example, I don't think America has, if it ever had, it doesn't have a unifying story um, mm. that can hold all of its competing parts together. And that's been always the beauty and the glory of American democracy that somehow you've been able to tell a single tale, mm. um, even if it's complex and pluralistic, about the desire for liberty and freedom and that desire giving birth to a nation, um, but it was a slaveholding nation and the slow unfolding of that sense of freedom and citizenship and entitlement to that freedom being extended out to slaves, to people of color, to women and voting rights, to civil rights with MLK. That was a kind of redemptive, almost like Exodus-like political story of us moving from slavery into freedom that founded our sense of shared understanding of citizenship. But you sense now that that's not a coherent story and there's an argument that it's not a it's not a compatible story ultimately that you have to be anti-american or you have to unravel the whole thing rather than judging america for not living up to its own ideals um and seeing the kind of slow self-criticism and working out of that it's almost a, a totalizing kind of black and white wholesale scrapping of of the narrative and you feel the social unrest. Now that's a much more complicated conversation, but the question I've been asking is how do Christians respond to a culture that feel like it's falling apart, crumbling from within and has no unifying story. And the answer that Augustine gives in the city of God to his Roman, you know, kind of culture, which I think comparable to what we're facing, he was writing at the very end of the Roman empire the city of Rome had been sacked in 410 AD by the Visigoths, which was sort of symbolically the end for the Roman Empire. And he's writing saying, we have a more sure and eternal hope in Christ and in this kind of citizenship that Paul talks about in Philippians 3. And that is, we ourselves are always part of earthly, local, temporal citizenships um, in our, our countries, wherever we find ourselves. But the body of Christ is actually this huge, unruly uh, band of saints and pilgrims that have been traveling from the time of Abel, uh, you know, through Abraham to Moses to David, on through the New Testament into the early church. And our citizenship is in heaven. We are longing for a city whose builder and architect is God himself. And so how do you how do you learn from that ruler, King Jesus, in a totally different way of politics, a true way of humility, a true way 
of other regard and and self-sacrifice how do you actually translate that into the earthly citizenship you find yourself on planet earth in any given point in history so the question we have to be asking now is how do we sort of navigate these uh, dual citizenships that we have as say an american and a christian um so how that weaves together with education is this is education especially in the humanities and ethics and history and english and philosophy has always required a narrative you always have to be habituating your students into a story that makes intelligible what they're doing in their learning and what it's aimed toward and for and i think that's one of the challenges for public education in our culture is what story are you telling mm. about the education is it the story of the liberation of of individuals um, over time, there's got to be a coherent narrative. So as Christians, I think we can grab the reins and at least give a testimony and not force it on everyone else, but a testimony of a coherent picture of education that says, hey, there's some really cool things that have come down to us through Western civilization and the slow kind of unfolding and this kind of baking together of Christianity and culture in the Mediterranean and Europe and America over the past 2,000 years. And we can celebrate some of those gifts, uh, an understanding of human beings as made in God's image and all the dignity and, and equal rights that ensue from that, understanding of democracy, understanding of all these things that have been shaped by Christian thought. We can celebrate those, but we can also say, wow, those things are not the kingdom of heaven on earth those things are not the heavenly city and they've been done by imperfect fallen broken people like us and so we can be self-critical even as we're grateful and appreciative of the past and of the artifacts of culture that we study from the past so that's that kind of kingdom citizenship perspective that i think we have as christian educators where you can on the one hand be grateful for say you know the history of thought which we study in the honors program but you can also be critical and uh, see the weaknesses, see the blind spots, even as we ourselves assuredly have blind spots in the moment. Well, you've, I mean, you're working this idea out in real time. In fact, over the last year, you've been having this conversation even within the honors program. And yep. I wonder, help us, because we hear that idea and we go, yes. In, like in your book, you say increasingly we're stuck between a view of education as citizenship in a narrowed nationalism rooted in nostalgia or yep. a pie-in-the-sky, hollow global <coughs> cosmopolitanism. And I think we all can kind of say, yeah, we, we do feel stuck in between those two. And finding that third way, that new kind of yep. story that will tell, it, it almost seems impossible and like it can't be done, but you guys did it. You, you had that self-critical exercise and, and even went to, so far as renaming the honors program and yep. worked that out. I wonder if you can, and I know we got to be sensitive to time, but help us understand how you approached that yeah. process um, yep. and were able to actually work through it to, to an end. Yes. Yeah. So we, have been named after um, William Penn, founder of the colony of Pennsylvania in the honors program. He was a kind of protege of George Fox, the founder of Quakerism in the 1600s in England. And so we thought there was a nice kind of connection there between our Quaker evangelical Christian heritage and the statesmanship of, of Penn, who has some really like 
you know, for his foibles, he also had some really profoundly admirable qualities in the 17th century, especially in his interactions with indigenous people um, in the colony. So, you know, that was, we held him up as an exemplar. About a year ago, a student at George Fox came to us and said, I've actually discovered that descendant of the slaves of William Penn, and I just want to talk to you about that. And so that spurred an important conversation about identity, about sort of um, namesakes and sort of virtuous exemplars that we're holding up and trying to imitate. And with the, the killing of George Floyd this summer, we entered into a deeper conversation about William Penn as masthead and also our curriculum and whether or not we're reading enough voices that are not part of that dominant sort of strain of the history of Western thought, which often ends up being dead white guys. And so we've had some really important conversations and our conclusion was to move away from the name of William Penn um, because we want to have a figurehead um, who we feel like is an admirable um, representative of Christian ideals as we understand them. And so we saw that his flaws in terms of his slave holding and what we know now from his letters and biography um, say, yeah, that's a, certainly a lapse of, of charity um, to be a slaveholder and in the way that he was. And yet we also wanted to make a really critical distinction to say there's a difference between who our namesake is and what we read and study and wrestle with in the curriculum. So we are very mindful that the cancer, the, the cancer, the cancel culture um, and erasure of all monument statues has the capacity um, to get us off the hook as Christians from having to reckon with our past. I mean, one of my favorite history professors used to always say, to do history is to confess your sins. And it's always stuck with me. That is to have a honest, sober recollection of the past allows you to reckon with um, the blind spots of your predecessors and also be mindful of what blind spots we might have right now that we're going to be judged from a future perspective and generation. And it's important for us to not um, whitewash or erase things that actually eliminates that possibility of confession and also just allows us to not wrestle with the ideas, even if they're imperfect or great ideas that are connected to less great ideas as they often are through history that we can be mindful, critical readers and thinkers. So we wanted to distinguish between the sake and our curriculum. We're not planning to cancel and gut, you know, every, you know, sort of imperfect or even slaveholding author from our curriculum because that would to do an injustice to the intellectual work. So we made that distinction and it felt like it was, it was done in concert with um, our students and our faculty, our new director of the honors program, Javier Garcia, who's doing a great job has been, leading that conversation. Um, but all that to say is that's just like a symbolic moment. I think we are as a culture reckoning with whether or not we will even continue to do um, education in the style that it has been done for hundreds of years, which is to to read and wrestle with the great authors and great ideas of the past and to bring that conversation into the present. And I think honestly, Zach, that we are going to see increasingly 
the polarization of secular that is non-religious conservatism and secular progressivism almost ripped the fabric of our country apart. Mm. It could happen. And that's certainly what is going on in Portland. I mean, the irony there is that Portland is uniformly a progressive city for whom the protests were utterly like in sync with and in of the city's democratic politics, including at the level of the mayor. Now there's this fight with the feds. And I think that, you know, an overwhelming white city, 6% black folk in Portland, you're seeing that it's actually, it's a symbolic ideological battle to which social media and some of our other mechanisms of polarization have fed into and almost has very little to do with the local and the small and the on the ground it has become a much bigger symbolic battle between secular conservatism and progressivism. So I think as Christians, and we are freed from the left and the right, the progressive, the conservative, the democratic, the Republican to be kingdom people, to have that other citizenship celestial vantage point and say, Hey, we have profound opportunity here to mourn with and listen to are especially people of color, especially black folk in our country, and to confess our own sins and to look soberly and honestly at the past. And yet we are people of hope and of gratitude who can see the glimmers of gospel truth and gospel seed in the understanding of the human person made in the image of God that gave rise to, say, Martin Luther King Jr.'s understanding in the civil rights movement of equality um, and voting rights and on and on. Like we, it's not a black and white cut and dry deal, especially mm -hmm. from a Christian's perspective, living in America, living in Western civilization. That's where education comes in. If you can't train the next generation to have a more nuanced, complex understanding of these things, of the way Christian faith has interacted with culture and made imperfect, but beautiful experiments like America possible a complex view of human nature that sees us as irreducibly good, made in God's image by a good creator, but also fallen, broken, wounded. Um, I think, again, man, we're just going to see like further and further cultural dissolution. You, you just touched on one of the ideas that we champion and we love, this idea that we're commingled, you know, the good, the broken, and the future. And it's, yeah. we're all, all three of those always. And trying to get more comfortable with that, that nuance is, <laughs> yep. even personally, is difficult. And I know I'm watching our time. I'm going to let you jump off in a second. But I wonder, you know, as we try to take steps ourselves. Like you said, it's so easy to get sucked into that strange social media abstraction black hole and, yep. and live out there. But yep. really, it is so important for us right now in our own families, in our own neighborhoods, yes. in our own worlds to live yep. in that nuanced place of good and broken and future and that commingled reality that's more complex, yes. more nuanced. What can we do you, you're a fan of reading. You love the great books. Give us some encouragement right now if we want to nurture that our, yeah. our ability personally to grow yeah. in our ability to live in the complexity of that idea of good, broken future. Just yeah. give us some encouragement. How, where, where should we start to read to just help us become more comfortable in that space? Yes. Oh, man. I think two things. I think one is... Um, we need to break the abstractions of 
social media and polarization by being more local, more proximate, more right where you are, and letting those concerns beginning in your own relationship with your spouse and your family, your neighborhood, like you said, let those ones be the, the ones that dominate your sense of political justice. I know it's hard to have people at your dinner table. That's one of the great challenges of this time. But listen, form friendships that are outside of the normal zone of who you usually sort of listen to and talk to. And honestly, I think, man, we... We are in a season of the prolonged pandemic where it's going to get harder. You know, right now in Western Oregon, I know you love it out here. And one of the images of late summer like this is when you go from the lush green of early summer where everything is green, just entirely. There's like a, a week where it happens at once where the things with shallower roots go tan all of the sudden and the things with deep roots go green. And we're in that moment, I feel like, in the, the pandemic where things are going tan and green and can become more apparent who has the deep, deep roots. And so I think the challenge for us to enter back into that vision of thriving in Christ, in God, in Yahweh that we find, say, in the Psalms, I think, I think just to, to absolutely nurture yourself in the reading of scripture with the people, right? around you as a way of getting that's where the complex that i think i actually first heard you say that commingled perspective on human nature that's dead on i totally hardly agree but you won't get there mm. just by thinking about it you'll get there by knowing scripture backwards and forwards because that's the picture of human nature that comes out of the whole from genesis to revelation so that's number one but then you bring the wisdom of god in scripture into dialogue with the wisdom of the ages. Um, so I think, yeah, read great texts, but talk to them about with the people around you. My wife, um, Nora, is part of this amazing book club. I think it's like probably better education than what we have going on at the university sometimes. Just deep conversation. They're just reading through classic texts together. And I think the ones that have really spurred conversation are you know, Augustine's Confessions um, is a tremendous book that has this complex view of human nature. Fyodor Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov, amazing Russian novel, has all of this complex Christian understanding of human nature and politics right there. But these are hard books. They're hard on your own. And so I think having group support to wrestle with and ask questions um, is really important. But I think in some ways what we're going to see is like, a great age of educational innovation where people are going to start taking it back into their own hands because the digitization of education and the great online experiment last spring that might happen again this fall is taking the manhole cover off learning for our culture. And people are asking like, what is going on at school? And what are, <laughs> what are people really learning anyways? What kind of formation is happening? And so as you read about little micro schools happening and pods and people experimenting, I think it's this grand opportunity as a society to reset, hit the reset and say, what are we aiming for? What do you actually, what values are being passed on? What are the ideals that we're training our kids to know about? Because the reality is if you get back in touch with them, if you read your Augustine, your Aristotle, your Martin Luther King Jr., you know, and down the line, you realize they're talking about virtues like justice, like courage, um, prudence. They're talking about faith. They're talking about hope. 
that's a vernacular that can actually bind us together and see that even really divided people often have similar moral and spiritual aspirations, but we haven't had the vernacular to see our team membership together, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's so good. And I know we've got to leave it there. Dr. Claire, thank you. I think reading Augustine on education, formation, citizenship, and the lost purpose of learning, add that to that list of great books. Everybody who's listening, just get it and let's start taking this in invitation to to reimagine learning, to reimagine the aim of learning, and to localize. And so thank you for the invitation back to our neighborhoods, back to our dinner tables, back to the conversations that, that are right in front of us, and to be ready to, to be in those spaces Spaces with that commingled view. So thank you for years, Dr. Claire, that you've invested in order to help us all better understand and build a way um, that we want to finish. Your work is critically important and we're all incredibly grateful. So tell your family hello, enjoy the beautiful Oregon summers and get out yeah. into the wild for all of us who are dreaming of the trees. We That idea of brown to green and the deep roots, like that was good for my soul. So I'm so grateful. <laughs> Zach, thank you so much. Um, it was a privilege to be with you. Thank you, man. Yeah. God bless you. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening. Make sure to go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to Lab the Podcast. You can rate and review us there. And then follow me at Zach J. Elliott or on my website, www.zachjelliot.com. I'll see you again for our next Lab session. And until then, here's to more life and more beauty.